0: It's really good to uh, see all of you here today, and uh, it's a really good passage that we're looking at as well. So let's uh, prepare our hearts as we go to God in prayer to ask Him that uh, He will truly help us to understand His Word to us today. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray for hearts which are soft and uh, minds which are pliable, which will be able to be shaped by your Word we pray that we will put aside our worries, our concerns, uh, our interests and desires to hear your word clearly today. We pray that you may help me to preach it faithfully. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, who do you listen to in this world? Okay, who do you listen to in this world? What are the sources of authority in your life? What shapes and molds your thinking and your actions? Now, I was uh, listening to a child psycho- a psychiatrist or a psychologist, and he said that actually all of us listen to people all of our lives, uh, whether we, we know it or not, and he was saying how important it was for parents to be the authority figure with their children, to spend time with their children, because we do not live in a vacuum, and everybody is shaped and molded by someone, so if it's not... Your par- not you as a parent teaching your children, or as not Christian friends who will teach your children, or good godly mentors, then they will be shaped by what they read on the internet, or gangs, or people at school. So whatever way, and whatever shape that we live, we are always influenced and moulded by something or somebody. So how do we know if that is the right authority in our lives, the right things that we are following? Well today, it's all about authority, right? Because... As we read here, right from the very beginning, in chapter twenty, verse one to four, the teachers of the law, the chief priests, and the elders, they came to Jesus, and they and they were asking Jesus this question: "By what authority are you doing these things?" He says in verse two, "Who gave you this authority?" Right. So, fundamentally, this whole, uh, I guess, discourse between. Jesus and the religious leaders is about authority. Why should we listen to you? That's what the religious leaders are saying to Jesus. And it's more than just that Jesus was preaching and teaching. But actually, if you look at the previous chapter, in chapter, 20, sorry, chapter 19, verse 45, Jesus had entered the temple courts and he began to drive out those who were selling there. So Jesus was not just teaching. Jesus was not just preaching. Jesus is actually correcting, rebuking, and condemning people. And at the heart of it, the religious leaders are saying, Why should we listen to you? Who gave you this authority that we should obey you? So, Jesus, as we will see in his wisdom and insight, asked them a question. He says in verse 3, He replied, I will ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? So Jesus doesn't want to get caught up in a long religious argument with them. He doesn't want to present a 10-minute CV presentation of his credentials, of his authority, but he just asks one question. And by this one question, they will be able to find out whether he has the authority to teach, to preach, and to condemn, and to correct their religious practices. So he says, John's baptism, was it from heaven, or was it from human origin? Now, John, uh, here is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, as we saw in the beginning of Luke, as we've been going through, uh, his ministry was fundamentally about baptizing people. And he was baptizing people to prepare them for the coming of Jesus Christ. He was the forerunner who pointed to Jesus. He prepared the way for Jesus. So, if you look up here, right? remember Luke chapter 3? Uh, John answered all the crowd. He said, I baptized you with water but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So what Jesus is effectively saying is, if you endorse John's baptism and say it's from heaven, then you will accept John's testimony, John's ministry or baptism about me. So if you accept John the Baptist's ministry as being from heaven, then you must accept Jesus' authority. You must accept that Jesus is God's Son. You must accept that Jesus is the Christ. Now, what do the, the religious leaders do? Uh, what do the chief priests, the teachers of the law And the elders do. Well, in verse 5 to 7, we see that there is a dilemma, isn't it? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, Why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So the answer, we don't know where it was from. Now, as we look at this short, I guess, uh, insight into their thinking or their discussion, we can see that the religious leaders have no genuine desire to find out the authority of Jesus. There is no sincere examination of the fact, there is no honest seeking for the truth. They don't really want to answer the question, where is the authority of Jesus? Because they don't want to answer the question, where does John's baptism come from? And indeed, it shows the hypocrisy of the religious leaders because they do not believe that John's baptism comes from heaven, yet, they're not willing to say, they are, they're hypocrites, right? They say, well, we don't know, but they actually do know. They, 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 they don't believe that it's from heaven. So they're not willing to accept Jesus' authority because they're not willing to accept John the Baptist's ministry. Now, the rest of the, 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 the section from verse 9 onwards, Jesus tells a parable, and the parable doesn't stand by itself. The parable is actually an explanation for why the religious leaders will not accept the authority of Jesus. And it's a very, very simple parable, right? So, in verse 9, he says, He went on to tell the people this parable. He went on to tell them this parable to explain this attitude of the religious leaders. Why will they not listen to John the Baptist? Why will they not accept the authority of Jesus? So, he tells a parable about a man, it says there in verse 9, who planted a vineyard. He rented it out to some farmers and he went away for a long time. Now, it's a very simple parable. A man, he buys a plot of uh, ground, a field. He plants grapes in it. That's what vineyards are for. He plant grapes in it. He prepares the vineyard. He probably builds a wall around it, digs irrigation ditches. And then he leases it to some tenants or some farmers who rent it from him. And at harvest time, the standard practice would be that the owner would send someone to collect rent for letting them use the vineyard. It's a bit like, you know, you you, you buy a flat and you rent it out to someone, you expect to get rent from it, right? People don't stay there for free, right? Okay, so it's it's very expected. It's something normal, it's part of the ordinary course of business. But what what is unexpected, what is a surprise, is the way that the tenants respond to the servants. Because the first servant, it says there, they beat him and they sent him away empty-handed. Now that's a surprise. But what is even a bigger surprise is that the second servant is treated worse than the first servant and the third servant is treated even worse than the second servant. So they are, they're, they're getting worse and worse in their response to the, 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 the owner, the landlord. But what is even a bigger surprise comes in verse 13, isn't it? Because in verse 13 it says, then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my son whom I love, perhaps they will respect him. Now that is really shocking because I don't know about you, but if it was me, after I send my first real estate agent and he gets beaten up, I'm not going to worry about that anymore. I kick kick the person out of my, my, my flat, isn't it? I mean, why? Why do you keep worrying about these ungrateful people who won't even show me any respect or pay me any rent? But here, the owner says, what shall I do? He shows great mercy and patience and love and even sends his very own son whom he loves to get respect from the tenants. Now this verse, in verse 13, unpacks the whole parables. Because once we understand verse 13, we see... Who the landlord is, who the son is, and who the tenants are, isn't it? Because it refers back to John's baptism. So remember when we looked at John's baptism, the next slide? Okay? Remember what what the voice from heaven said when Jesus was baptized by John. It said, right, as we read here, You are my son, whom I love. That's exactly the same as what the parable says, isn't it? What shall I do? I will send my Son, whom I love. And remember later on, in Luke chapter 9, next slide, uh, there's a transfiguration on the mountaintop, and again there's a voice from heaven, and in verse 35 it says, A voice came from the cloud and saying, This is my Son, whom I've chosen. Listen to him. So when we put the pieces together, we see that the parable is actually making a very simple point. The son is actually Jesus. The owner is the voice from the cloud, isn't it? It is the father. God, the father in heaven. The voice from heaven. The tenants are the religious leaders. And that's why in verse 19, the teachers of the law and the chief priests look for a way to arrest them because they knew they had spoken this parable against them. The tenants are the religious leaders. So what this parable is actually saying is that The reason why the religious leaders will not accept the authority of Jesus is not an intellectual problem. It's not that they they cannot work out where Jesus is from. It is a problem of the heart. They are unwilling to accept the authority of Jesus because they are unwilling to accept the authority of God. And that's why in verse 14 to 16 it's such a terrible thing, isn't it? Because it says, But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the air they said, Let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now, they will not accept the authority of Jesus, they will not accept the authority of God, because they are rebellious. Instead of accepting the love of God, the thankfulness for the things that God has given them in this wonderful land that they had, they reject God. Now, as we look at this parable, it is very specific to the religious teachers. But the principle is actually the same across history. Because all across the beginning of creation to our time, God's people living in God's land have rebelled against God's authority. And what was happening for the religious teachers was no different from Adam and Eve. So, if we look back at Adam and Eve, remember, God had made this wonderful place, God's land in the Garden of Eden, and He placed God's people, Adam and Eve, into it. But instead of acknowledging the authority of God, Adam and Eve, over time, decided that they wanted to become gods themselves. They rejected the authority of God, and they were not grateful to God. So, if you look up here in Genesis chapter 3, that is at the heart of sin, isn't it? At the heart of sin is the rejection of the authority of God, the rejection of any sort of respect to God. So the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We, must, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree That is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, the desire of Adam and Eve to be like God and to be equal to God is the same as what the tenants were doing to the owner. They wanted to have the land, God's land, without God. You want the benefits of God's land, but you don't want to acknowledge and give authority to God. And therefore, they wanted to kill God's son to seize God's land for themselves. Now, I wonder whether we can be like that. I wonder whether we really recognize that we are living in God's land, but sometimes, or maybe all the time, we don't want to give authority to God or give authority to Jesus. So I remember a friend of my sister's, I've been trying to evangelize him for like the last three decades. And every decade... I speak to him about Jesus, and it's always an excuse. And so when I, I evangelized him at university, he said, okay, first, let me become a doctor. Then I will consider becoming a Christian. After he became a, a, a doctor, I said, oh, have you thought about being a Christian yet? He said, oh, no, let me start my clinic. I'm very busy in my clinic. Then recently, I, I spoke to him a few years ago, and he said, well, my clinic's very successful now, but then now... I've got this uh, de facto girlfriend and we've got children, so let me, let me raise my children. Right, so his problem is not intellectual because he acknowledges that he you know, believes the Bible is true, that Jesus is real. But the problem is the same as Adam and Eve, the problem is the same as the tenants. He is living God's will, I think he acknowledges that, he's eating God's food, he's breathing the air God has supplied him, but he refuses to give honor and respect and authority to God and to God's Son, Jesus. I wonder whether that's the same for us. Do we recognize that we're living in God's world, that God has made, that God sustains, and that God blesses us with all these things, but yet we choose to take God out of God's place. We refuse to give Him authority, we refuse to give God's Son His authority. Now, I think as we've seen in this parable, God is very patient, God is very loving, and God is very merciful, and he kept trying to reach out to the tenants. But as we see here, Jesus says in verse 17, that when they kill the son, there is no more mercy and patience and grace left in God the Father. So in verse 17, Jesus looked directly at them and asked, then what is the meaning that which of that which is written. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone or the capstone, right? Everyone who falls and that stone will be broken to pieces and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Now what he's saying, he's actually referring here to a psalm which was written uh, many, many years before, prior. And the capstone uh, or is, is like this. So if you look at this slide. So uh, this is a cornerstone. As you can see, it's very big, right? It's like uh, it's like the corner of a building and once you set that stone, it's the most important stone because it will, it will determine the dimensions of the building or, uh, next slide, you can see it clearer here. Okay, this is like the cornerstone, right? But also, it could also mean capstone, so like if in the olden days, like if you ever go and see those bridges which are made without um, steel or whatever, it's like you put all these bricks together then you've got this stone in the middle which holds everything together. If you take that stone away, the whole thing collapses, right? It's usually a very big and s- the strongest stone. So Jesus is saying, look, you can reject all the previous messengers, you can reject all the previous servants of God, but if you reject the Son, then the outcome is judgment and death. There is no more mercy and love. Because if you imagine, the capstone or the cornerstone are the biggest and the strongest and the, the most solid stones. So imagine if this stone were to fall on you. What would happen to you? you'll be completely squashed like a pancake, right? Imagine if you were to trip over this stone, you also have a couple of broken bones. So what he's saying is, there is no more excuse. If you trip over, or you fall over, or you're crushed by the sun, then there is, there, there's nothing left. You are, there is no more mercy left, there is no more love left in God. Because the, the Son of God is the, is, is the final is the final piece of the puzzle. If you reject Him, if you fail to accept Him, fail to accept His authority, there is only judgment left. So I think that's a warning for all of us. Uh, God's mercy, God's love is at an end. He sent His Son, and there will be no more messengers. You must respond to the Son, and must respond and obey the authority of Jesus. Now, in the next part, the next incident, we see that uh, the religious leaders are unable to catch Jesus out. Uh, they try another tactic and they send spies. Right? They send spies to sort of try to get at Jesus. So look at what they try to do in verse 20 to 22. So keeping a close watch on him, they send spies who pretended to be sincere They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said, so they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him, Teacher, we know that you speak, what you speak and teach is what is right, and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now this is a very seemingly simple question, but it's a lose-lose question for Jesus. If Jesus were to say, pay taxes to Caesar, then he would lose the support of people. People wouldn't listen to his message anymore. Because they would see Jesus as a sympathizer with a foreign invader. They would see Jesus as unpatriotic, a defector, a lackey, a stooge, a running dog, a turncoat, a traitor, a double agent. Right? So they would not listen to Jesus. But if Jesus said, "Pay taxes to Jesus, uh, pay taxes to Caesar," then they would load it up on YouTube, and then uh, he will get arrested, and uh, they will get rid of Jesus, and, and the problem will be solved. So man, no matter what Jesus says, he would be in trouble, isn't it? It's a lose-lose answer for Jesus. A sticky situation. Now again, as you will see, the wisdom of Jesus have comes through. Because in verse 23, he says, He saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a Daenerys, whose image and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were not able to trap him in what he had said there in public. And astonished by his answer, they became silent. Now, even non-Christian uh, writers are very impressed by the wisdom of Jesus. I mean, it's so profound and so sharp in his thinking, right? Jesus' thinking. So again, Jesus doesn't give a long thesis about the theology of civic responsibility and religious conscience, right? He doesn't do what the religious teachers do before and say, well, we don't know what the answer is, no comment, right? They don't plead, like, I don't know, the Fifth, Command, uh, Fifth Amendment in America, or whatever, right? I don't answer this question, Okay? But he says, instead, like he did the previous time, he answers a question with a question. So he says, show me a coin. Okay, so the coin that day wouldn't have the Singapore Prime Minister. Right? It, would, it would be like this. These are the coins of the day. And the coins of the day, on one side they would have Tiberius Caesar, all right, who was the son of Augustus Caesar. And on the other side would be a picture of his mother. Livia, or whatever, right? So, uh, because uh, of these uh, pictures and inscriptions, uh, they were not allowed to use these coins in the temple because it's kind of a blasphemy, right? Because it shows a picture of the Roman emperor. So, whose portrait is on this coin? The portrait of Caesar, right? So, these coins belong to Caesar because it bears the image of Caesar. So Jesus says, well, wh- why don't you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar? Because his image is on Caesar. And give to God what is God's. Now, they were so astounded and amazed they didn't know what to say to Jesus because they, they, he got out of this trap. And, and yet, at a deeper level, there is this deep, profound theological truth that is here. See, Jesus is so clever, isn't it? That in just one question, he brings it back to, again... The question of authority and obedience. So, give to Caesar, what is Caesar's? Okay, that's very clear. Give to Caesar what his inscription is. But what does it mean when Jesus says, give to God? What is God's? What bears the image of God? What bears the image of God? Well, if you look in the mirror, there it is. You bear the image of God. Right? We all bear image of God. We are the portraits of God. And that's why in Genesis chapter 1, right, right at the very beginning, God has said, let us make man in, in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. See, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, okay, the coin, but give to God what bears the image of God, which is yourselves. So, where does the authority lie? It lies with? with God. Because we bear the image of God, we must give to God our very self. Now, uh, you all know that uh, for many years when I grew up, I grew up in uh, communal living. So, I didn't grow up at home. I, I grew up in boarding school, uh, when I was studying in Australia, and I lived in college when I was in university. And one rule of communal living is that it's very important to know who owns what. Okay, so you're always putting your name on everything. You know, I've got a name on every piece of article of clothing I have. Right? I put my name on my radio player or everywhere so it's unmistakable. I've got my name on my soccer ball. i even got my name on my instant noodles. Even the eggs... That I put in the fridge, have my name on it, so that people know that it's mine, right? Because in communal living, the most important thing is who owns what, right? And you only know who owns what because you have your name on it. And that's the same thing, isn't it, in this parable? Because in the earlier parable, we learned that God owns the world, God is the landlord, God is the owner. But Jesus goes even further, isn't it? He says here, give to God what is God's. And God owns not just the world, but God owns me. Because I've been imprinted by God's image. God owns me. God owns you. God owns all of us. So just as we should give authority to God because He owns the world, we should give authority to God because He owns us. We bear His image. Whenever we wake up in the morning, we look in the mirror We see that God owns us. And because of that, it's not just enough to come to church on a Sunday or sing a few songs, but God demands that we give all of ourselves to Him, isn't it? He demands total obedience because He has the authority. And the same way, because Jesus is God's Son, we need to give authority to Jesus too. In verse 27... After the spies had uh, had their try and given up, some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus with a question. Verse 28, Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but no children, a man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless the second, then the third married her, and the same way the seven died, leaving no children, finally the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since the seven were married to her? Now, uh, these Sadducees were like a a sect of uh, priestly and lay people who were quite powerful in that time. And they did not believe in the resurrection, and they did not believe in angels, and they only believed in the first five books of the Bible. So they come to Jesus and they say, okay, we will we'll, we'll, we'll catch Jesus out this time, right? So they ask Jesus a, a, a tricky question which obviously they thought you know, Jesus would struggle with and show that Jesus you know, really is not as clever as he thinks he is or that people think he is. Now, by the law of Moses, if a brother marries a wife or a man marries a wife, he is responsible to give her children. Uh, part of the reason is because when the nation of Israel was formed, each person was given like a plot of land, and that land would carry on forever and ever as long as the line, the family line, continued. So, people needed children so that the land would continue to stay in the family line. So, they, gives the, they give this hypothetical situation where a brother marries a woman, the brother dies, you know, she marries, the next brother then marries her because it's the responsibility of the, the family to keep the line going. He dies, the third person dies, the fourth person dies, maybe your cooking is very bad, no? Right, the fifth person dies, sixth person dies, seventh person dies, okay? So then they ask Jesus, who will this woman be married to in heaven? Right, okay, Jesus, got you there, right? Okay, how, how, how are you going to answer this question now? Which person is married to her in heaven? And Jesus, again, shows his extraordinary wisdom and insight because he says, in verse 34, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come, and the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection." By the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise. For he calls the Lord, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. Now, as we look at this passage, um, the wisdom of Jesus seems to be moving beyond the realm of human wisdom. I mean, I know people say that Jesus is one of the wisest people that ever lived on earth. Even they say, well, you know, we won't follow Jesus, we don't believe in Jesus. But Jesus is a really wise person. But as we see here, Jesus is not wise in a worldly, earthly way. Because which earthly person can tell you what happens after you die? No one, right? There is no one wise enough to tell you what happens after you die. Only God can tell you what happens after you die. Now, I know that um, I play golf with this person and apparently they nearly died and they had a near-death experience. And he tells me when he died, he sees this white light and all that sort of stuff. I know that uh, in Australia, the richest man who was then in Australia. He died as well, or nearly died. And then he came back and uh, very famously went in a newspaper and said there was nothing, you know, put a swear word here, and there n- nothing there at all, right? It was just darkness. But w- Jesus doesn't need a near-death experience to tell you what happens after you die. Jesus actually knows what happens you die without actually having died yet. Because he is God. And he has divine wisdom. He is able to see things that nobody else can see. See, come back again with me, to verse 14 and 15. This is very important. Right? I, 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 you don't really notice it because you sort of read it. But look at verse 14 and 15. Turn back me to verse 14 and 15. You will not regret it when you look at this because if you think about it, it really blows your mind. When the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir they said. Let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. How does Jesus, when he tells this parable, know that the tenants are going to kill him. He can only know because he knows the future. Jesus can only tell this parable because he is able to see that he will die on the cross. See, the parable cannot work unless Jesus has divine wisdom, unless he knows the future and the future that the tenants will really take him and put him on the cross and he will die. Now, when you think of this sort of wisdom, this is not earthly wisdom, this is not wisdom that comes from thinking a lot. This is wisdom that can only come from being God. And that's another reason why we need to give authority to Jesus, because He has wisdom that is beyond this world. So I remember meeting someone, uh, one of my uh, many, many, many relatives. Well, this one's the other side of the family. And this person said they've been searching for God for years. So, you know, they go to Cambodia, Myanmar, they go for all these religious retreats, they they meditate, do all these things. But I was saying to myself, you know, the problem is why you can't find God and you can't find wisdom is because you're looking in the wrong place. You can only find true wisdom and you can only find God in Jesus. You see, when you look at Jesus here, He's not just a man. He is someone who is beyond a man. He is God's Son. And He shows... His divinity just by the answers that He gives, the insight that He has into the future and His insights into the resurrection. When I, uh, in 1989, when I was in my last year at university, uh, someone invited me to read the Bible with him and I read it for many, many weeks. And I thought I knew Jesus, but as I read the Bible and I went through the Gospels, I realized that Jesus cannot just be another person. He cannot just be a human being who is very wise, a wonderful teacher, someone who is a great preacher, he is actually divine. No human being can tell you the future like Jesus did. No human being can tell you what the resurrection life is going to be unless they are God and they are God's son. So what about you? What is the authority in your life? Who do you listen to? Who do you obey? Well, surely it must be, it must be Jesus. Because He is God's Son. And we live in God's will. And we are all made in God's image. And Jesus has wisdom, divine wisdom, which is beyond anybody's wisdom in this world. So today as we reflect on, I guess, the religious teachers And their refusal to listen to Jesus or to obey Jesus or to accept His authority. I pray that for ourselves we will not be like that. Because if we do that, we will be rejecting God's Son Himself and we will only face judgment. But instead, let us truly see who Jesus is, that He is God's Son and that He is wisdom beyond this world and that we need to listen to Him. We need to tune out and we need to test all the voices of the world around us and say, "Is it consistent with what Jesus is saying? Is it consistent with the authority that we give to Jesus? Let us bow our heads and pray. Dear Father, as we come before you today, help us to see that we need to have the right authority in our lives, that we need to acknowledge that you are God who has created this wonderful world, that you are God who has placed us in it, that you are God who has given us our very life, that we are made in your image. We pray that we may continually, day by day, minute by minute, give you the authority and obedience and worship and reverence and awe, and at the same time to do so by recognizing your Son Jesus. Help us to see that he is your Son who has come into this world that we need to give Him authority and to respect and obey Him. Help us to see that the wisdom that He brings is not an earthly wisdom, a worldly wisdom, but a wisdom which must be truly divine to say the things that He said. And we pray for each and every one of us that we do not heed the wisdoms and authorities of this world, but to always measure them and to judge them by Your wisdom by Jesus' wisdom, by the authority that we give You. And we pray for all these things, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.